and particularly those things that have been injurious and, and broken and harmful about the past and painful. But there's something about the past that keeps intruding into the present and keeps uh, just raising its, its, its head in, in how we live today. Um, I find that is true with sin, uh, that so often the sins of the past come back to haunt us and to um, just sort of color our thinking and our sense of worth and our sense of, 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 of whether or not we are right with God. And uh, sins of the past and, and the memory of sins in the past can generate a lot of guilt, uh, a lot of debility, and a lot of sense of shame. Um, it can attack our self-worth and those kinds of things. So uh, this morning, that's why I wanted to talk about experiencing uh, the forgiveness of sin. Now, what I want to start out by saying is that we are saved not by feeling. We are saved by fact. We are not saved because we feel good about ourselves any more than we are lost because we don't feel good about ourselves. We are saved by the fact that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, the sinless one who did not deserve to die, who died for those who did deserve to die. He died for us. And the fact is, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. The fact is, his blood covers our sin. The fact is, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are not saved because we feel better. We are not saved because we feel righteous. We are not saved because we feel forgiven. We are saved by the fact of Jesus Christ. God said that when he forgives us, he would remove our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. That's a pretty good distance. He said that when he forgives us, that sin is no longer operating in our lives. Now, I, let's just be honest with it. A lot of times when we sin and we confess our sin, it seems as though there's an ongoing reality of that sin that keeps intruding in us. It might be looking back with regret. It might be wounds and injuries that we have inflicted on others. It might be relationships that we have broken that need mending. It might be things that we have thrown out of, of sync that need to be put back in harmony. When we sin, we break the world around us. We break the relationships around us. And so God forgives us our sin, and that sin is totally removed from us. But a lot of times there's an impact of that afterwards. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that because we are dealing with the cleanup operations of sin, we are dealing with the, the, the restoration process after a sin, we think that because we're still dealing with what that sin has caused, that somehow that sin has not been forgiven. It's being held against us. Here is the fact. That sin has been taken away from you by faith in Jesus Christ as far as east is from the west. It has no more reality in your life. You're dealing with the impact, but you are forgiven. You're forgiven by the fact of what God has done in Jesus Christ. We are not forgiven because we somehow feel it more often. See, many times we start to feel like, well, uh, you know, maybe God's dredging this up again. Maybe, maybe when I go to God and I pray that this horrendous thing I have done, and I could give you examples from my life, but it's none of your business, all right? 
But I'm, I'm sus suspicious that you can fill in the blank with, from your own life. But we come before God and, we, and, and sometimes we feel as though, well, I don't know if God will hear my sin because I'll fill in the blank. I'm not sure if God will answer this prayer because I'll fill in the blank. I think God is still punishing me in my life because I'll fill in the blank. But in point of fact, God said, I will remove your sin from you, and oh, by the way, I will remember your sin no more. He says, I'm just not going to remember it. Now, let me tell you something. God does not forget things. It's not as though God says, well, what was that you, you did that Jesus died for? I can't quite remember that. When he says, I will not remember that sin anymore, he says, I'm not going to bring it up. It just won't be a factor in our relationship anymore. When I forgive a sin, I don't remember it. I don't bring it up. I don't inject it into the relationship anymore. God will not, you know, bring up that sin again. You will. You'll bring it up. It's, it's, it's because of our, our human frailty we keep bringing up the past in our own minds and hearts. For some reason, we remember the bad things a lot better than we remember the good things so often. I mean, I, I remember things that, that were kind of bad that I'm a little bit ashamed of. Again, they're none of your business, but I remember them better than I do, say, the, the little tiny triumphs I've had over life. I'll give you an innocuous illustration. Church softball, that's sin in and of itself, but sin, well, the way I played it was. But, you know, when I look back upon my, my softball career, batted 461, no, oh, come on, that was a sin too. But, uh, but what I remember are the errors. I remember some of the good catches. It, I remember it, it was a good catch. <laughs> but what I remember is cutting across the outfield, going for a ball to cut it off and hold the runner at first and not let him get to second. And I ticked the ball with my glove and it passed the guy behind me. It rolled to the fence. Guy had an inside the park home run. I remember that to this day and I'm not bitter. But that's the way our sin is. We remember it. We remember it because it was shaming and humiliating, and it's not the kind of thing we like uh, to, to, to talk about. And so that sin keeps coming up again and again. God said, I'm not going to bring it up. Why we do, I don't know, but God said, I'm not going to bring it up. Now, I'll tell you who else will bring it up is the adversary. The devil will bring it up. When you sit down to pray, the devil will whisper in your ear. He'll say, who, do you, who are you to go to church and smile and sing, sing hymns and praises and, and do all that when you know good and well that you fill in the blank? Who are you to tell others about Jesus and tell others about the love of God and that God will forgive them? Who are you to tell them when you know that you want fill in the blank? See, the adversary will keep bringing it up over and over and over again to try to defeat us and to try to just lessen our joy in Christ. The adversary will bring it up. You might bring it up, but I can tell you this, God will not bring it up. He's taken it away as far as east is from the west. He says, I will remember it no more. And even as we go through life, 
You know, and sometimes the sin we're talking about is a besetting sin. It, it, it's a sin that happens over and over again. Try as hard as we might, we keep falling into it. A, a short temper, uh, a, a language that is displeasing to God, saying things to people that are heartful, prideful, and boastful. You know, these kinds of things that we, you know, we, we know they need to be eradicated from lives. They're sinful, but if they seem to keep coming up over and over and over again, then we wonder, you know, maybe God isn't forgiving me. No, what we know is this that the Bible tells us what sin is so that we don't sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. He's the one who takes the wrath of God upon himself for our sins, and he died for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. This is the fact that we know. God's forgiveness is limitless. There's no boundaries to it. There's no, there's no stopping to it. His forgiveness is absolutely complete. And so what I want for us to think about this morning is how we experience and claim that forgiveness and live out that forgiveness rather than living lives that are constantly being defeated by the memory of sin and by the, the, um, the, the biography of sin that just sort of comes back to us and, and, and shames us again and causes that guilt um, and how we can deal with the guilt of sin by concentrating on the glory of God. And uh, so we look at Psalm 51. Now, again, Psalm 51 is uh, traditionally, and we take it this way, it's David confessing his sin to God. But um, I suspect the psalm was written a little while after the encounter with Nathan. You know, it's it's not like Nathan went up to David and said, David, you have sinned. there's, There's the man who sinned. David said, who is the sinner? Nathan says, thou art the man. David, you're the sinner. I don't think David said, Nathan, could you wait just a minute? I need to compose a psalm. Uh, If you will, I need to go to my study. He runs to the study, pulls out his rhyming dictionary, pulls out his thesaurus. You know, he starts writing this poem. He comes up and he says, hey, Nathan, this is the best I got. I I think I'll call it Psalm 51, you know. uh, (laughs) I don't know why. I just thought of Area 51. But uh, I'll call it Psalm 51. That went just right by you. But uh, he says, I'll call it 51, and then he read it to Nathan. No, the Bible says he just said, I have sinned before the Lord. And then upon reflection, upon that that infusion of the grace of God into his life for forgiveness, David writes out this sort of confession statement. What happened when he confessed his sin? And there was nothing wrong in revisiting it from time to time to remember the greatness of what God had done. And so I want for us to look at this psalm and read through it and and look for those clues as to how we experience forgiveness of God, that complete forgiveness of God, okay? So uh, let's let's start in verse 1. We'll read just through verse 12, but we start at verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He says, Have mercy according to your love, according to your mercy. Those are three different words in the... In the Hebrew, they're, they're parallel. They, they really mean the same thing. They're just pointing to the overwhelming, abundant grace of God. It says, God, according to grace, deal with me in the next few moments. See, our attitude is you have to fix it first, especially, you know, those of us who, who are men. We, we like to fix things. We, we've got to fix it. And uh, we hold this, this standard towards others. You know, if someone wrongs me, well, yeah, I'll forgive you if you fix it first. If you give restitution first, sure, I'll forgive it. If you show that you're sorry first, sure, I'll forgive you, but I'm putting you on probation first. 
See, that's the way we deal with one another because we are into works righteousness. We, we think that you have to merit forgiveness. Folks, if you had to earn and merit forgiveness before God, you'd never be forgiven. If you had to be righteous enough and good enough before God that he would have to forgive you, you'll never be forgiven. If you had to fix the world first, if you had to fix all the harm your sin had ever done, if you had to put back the brokenness that you broke when you sinned, if you had to put all that back together before God forgave you, you'd never be forgiven. David says, God, according to grace and mercy and love, deal with me. He appealed to the grace of God. And so often when we don't experience the forgiveness of our sin, it's because we're still locked into a works righteousness kind of thing. We still think that we have to measure up. We still think that we have to show performance. We have to succeed at at holiness and righteousness before God forgives us. No, appeal to the grace. Look to the grace, the love, and the mercy of God because God's love is overwhelming for you. Uh, Our works could never undo the sin. Only God's grace can forgive us of that sin. Now, here we can only point to Jesus Christ as the proof of God's love, grace, and mercy. That God loved you so much that when you were a sinner, when you were lost in your sin, when you were in absolute rebellion against God, that's when he sent Christ to die for you. That's Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if while we were sinners who cared nothing about God, he sent his son out of love, grace, and mercy, how much more now that we love God and we are striving to serve him, how much more now is his love real and his grace absolute in our lives? Because of Jesus Christ, we have this this absolute conviction of the love of God for us. I mean, we know that Jesus in his earthly ministry was always with the outcasts, you know, the the, the tax collectors or the... the, uh, the, the lepers and those who were sick and so forth. Do you ever notice this? Jesus liked being around sinners. He wasn't so keen on religious people. They, they sort of irritated him, I think. But he loved sinners. Whether it was the woman at the well, the woman taking adultery, whether it was the paralytic man who'd been put before him and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus loved being with sinners. That's how you know he loves you. That's how you know God's love is just that great. So in this larger picture, this is who God is for us. Oh, read the Old Testament. Yeah, sit down tonight and read it. Uh, But if you were to read it at one city, one thing you would notice is that God chases after sinful Israel. The people of God keep sinning against him. Each man does what is right in his own eyes, and they wander off and do their own thing. They sin against him. He sends the judges to bring them back. Every time they get a new king, the king trots off, gets some new gods, some foreign gods and idols, and pulls them in for Baal worship and so forth. God always sends a prophet to set them straight. They're carted off into Babylon because of the rejection of God. God brings them back. God is constantly chasing sinners, and he is constantly tracking them down to bring them to himself. And so when the, when, you know, when, when, when the adversary is whispering in your ear, you know, how could God ever forgive you? You, you certainly aren't forgiven. Just say, well, there's a grace and the mercy and the compassion of God, and that is overwhelming, larger and greater than our, our sin. So we need to get that straight in our mind that God works out of mercy toward us when he forgives us.
not out of works. No, in verse 2, he says, wash me, uh, blot out my transgressions, wash me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Again, three different Hebrew words, all meaning the same thing, rebellion against God, rejecting God, passive indifference to God, uh, leaving undone the things God requires, doing the things he forbids. You know, that, what, however you want to define the sin, we know what it is. We're, we're, we're just living against God. And he says, on the basis of grace, love, and mercy, blot out my sin. Just blot that sin out. So the first thing is, Zero in on the grace of God. Now, secondly, verse 3, this is great. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, th- this is not talking about the person who's cruising through life and just doing what they want and they're just happy sitting and you know, really don't care. They have no sense of, 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 of God's will for their lives. They're, they're just going through life and happy. This is describing the person This is describing the person who realizes they have sinned and rebelled against God and now they can't get it out of their head. That sin is always in front of them. Every time they turn around, they can just see that sin. He says, it's ever before me. In in a sense, David is talking about uh, the conviction of sin. I'm, I'm just really convicted of my sin. But look, isn't this the way it really works? that when you know you've, you've, you've uh, rebelled against God and you've, you've, you've sinned against God, you, it, it just comes back to you over and over again. It's, it's always there. It's always lurking there. That's why the fill-in-the-blank is so dominating your life is because it's always there. Even when you're having a good time, at some point it'll come back and say, yeah, but, fill-in-the-blank. Even when you feel like you're, you're sort of, you know, having a good week and you're, you're, you're really in step with Christ, then... Then, then it'll come back, fill in the blank, you know, and, and that'll just be there again. And that's what David said. He says, my, I, I know I've sinned, and it's always in front of me. I can't get it out of my head. Then he says this, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. A um, little bit of a problem with this. Uh, let, let me tell you how, how um, uh, I've, I've got to think this through. He says, against you and you only I have sinned. Hang on, David, you sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against her. You sinned against Uriah. You sinned against their family. You sinned against their nation. And now you're saying, well, it's only against God I sinned. Here's what I think he means. Whenever you sin against a fellow human being, whenever you sin against another person, you are sinning against God. All sin is sin against God. All sin... Is sin against God. So what David is saying is, all these, all this sin and all its levels and ramifications and, and its rippling effect and impact on others, all of that sin, God ultimately it comes back. I've sinned against you. Ultimately, it's broken my relationship with you. It says when when I when I sin, when I fill in the blank, it's against you, God, and I know it's against you. That's, what, that's really what hurts if you have any, any kind of spiritual sensitivity at all. But I know that I have sinned against you and you only. But then the second half of that verse, he says, I've sinned against you, God. Everything I did was a sin against you, God. And why was that? So that you may be justified in your works and blameless in your judgments. In other words, God, I realize my sin was against you, and that just highlights your goodness and your righteousness and your holiness. It's an odd thing. But when I'm reminded of my sin, I'm almost remi- also reminded of the glory of God. When I'm reminded of how far short 
I have fallen, it's short of the glory of God. And so even in those moments when, when it comes back to your head, you know, that fill-in-the-blank thing, the glory of God is greater still. The glory of God, and if you're remembering it at all, it, it, it's just so that you might be reminded, God was extremely gracious and glorious to forgive me of that sin. See? So turn it to remember the glory of God. Turn to the glory of God. So turn to the grace of God, turn to the glory of God um, in those moments. But um, uh, in um, verse 5, And behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. Uh, wow, we could do a lot of bad theology based on that verse. But here, here's, the, here's the point I think David is getting at. When I sinned, it seemed like that sin on that day went back in the past and polluted every day of my life from day one, from the moment of conception. It's like this sin has just consumed everything about me and into the future. That's what I think he means. And that's what's happening, isn't it? You know, whenever you think of fill in the blank, don't you think, well, that, that has, you know, nothing about me can ever be viewed as good or righteous or, or, or worthwhile again because it's all uh, colored by the fact of fill in the blank. And so David says, this sin is all consuming. So here's what we got in verses uh, 3, 4, and 5. We have David saying, I've sinned against God. I know I've sinned against God. Um, he is glorious and righteous, but my iniquity has absolutely distorted and polluted my entire life, and it's just sunk deep within. It's, it's just affected every fiber of my being. But then here's what he says in verse 6. If you want to highlight this one, this is great. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You delight in honesty. You delight when we get down to where the real problem is, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. See, sometimes because of whatever it was, fill in the blank, sometimes there's brokenness. Sometimes we need therapy, you know, counseling to get over it. Sometimes we need to work through it and understand what happened, the dynamics and so forth. If it's a besetting sin, we need to talk about that. But here's the thing. A believer in Jesus Christ should never be afraid to go deep into the heart because God delights in truth in the inward parts. In the very innermost part of the secret heart, God loves truth. And by the way, there's nothing you've done or nothing you can confess to God that he doesn't know about already. I mean, it's not like you confess your sin. You know, God, I, I'm, I'm coming for you. I'm going to confess, fill in the blank. And God says, whoa, I had no idea. Wow, I, I, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> you know, this, this is preposterous. <laughs> no, God delights in truth. Never be afraid of sinking deep inside into the inner heart and finding the truth of what's going on because when you do, you'll find that God was there first. He loves truth in the inner person. And so um, where we are so far is rely on the grace of God, rely on the glory of God, and be honest in the inner person absolutely honest and truthful with who you are and with the situation. Well, let, let's uh, read on, finish this up. Then verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop. Anybody grow hyssop? And I shall be clean. Uh, hyssop is kind of an interesting word. Um, they, there was a plant in Egypt called hyssop, they think, uh, domesticated plant. Um, we're not sure exactly what the Hebrews meant by the word hyssop. Um, and so the, 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 the biology of it is, is, is sort of escapes us. But here's what we know about hyssop. 
Hyssop was sort of like a leafy sort of plant, uh, and you took a branch off it with all the leaves, and it was used to dip in the blood for purification. It was used to dip in the blood. And folks, I can't read that purge me with hyssop without re- being reminded that Jesus Christ shed his blood for us, Amen. that on the cross he died for us. And, you know, and it's not like he died so that we could have one shot at being forgiven, and then if you blow it after that, you're sunk. It's not as though Jesus Christ died so that we could try to be better and be like him. Jesus Christ died so that our sins would be washed in his blood and we would be made clean because of his blood. So when I read that and it says, purge me with hyssop, that's the first thing I do is I think of the cross. By the way, this, this is why Christian believers love to come to the cross again and again and again. We come back to the cross because there is the beauty of God's love for us poured out for us. There at the cross, we are forgiven. It's there at the cross that our lives are made whole. And, you know, when, and, and whenever the, the past sins sort of attack you and whispers in your head, you know, God can't use you, can't love you because I'm filling the blank, just go back to the cross and be purged and cleansed with that hyssop again, with, with that shed blood of Christ again, purged with the hyssop again. There's some other possible meanings of hyssop. I won't, I won't go into those, but, but, but essentially this that when we come to the cross, we are made clean again. And when we come and remember that the cross has, on the cross, Jesus paid the price of our sin, we don't have to worry about, well, maybe God, God didn't forgive this one. It's forgiven. Fill in the blank. It is forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. Absolutely forgiven. It says, wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. What a beautiful picture. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. In other words, it's okay to rejoice. Have you, have you ever gone through these things where you're just looking at your life and you're saying, you know, I, I know God saved me. I know, I know Christ died for me. I know the Holy Spirit is working. I know all that stuff, but right now I'm sort of in the pits. Yeah. I'm, I'm going through a tough time where I'm, I'm, I'm really being short with people. You ever do that? Am I the only one who has slumps? You ever have slumps in life? It seems like every day you're just, you're just striking out. You know what I mean. I'm trying to think of a feminine uh, uh, analogy. You, you know, women do sports. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It says here, let me rejoice anyway. Let me rejoice anyway. You know, you don't have to wait till you're perfect before you praise God. You don't have to wait until you have it all together before you come in and you worship and you actually enjoy the presence of God. The adversaries say, you can't do it because I'll fill in the blank. But because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be saved and washed in the blood. And we come. And so he says, let me rejoice and let me hear joy and gladness and, and let, let my broken bones rejoice. You know, let, let's, 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 let's have worship here going on. And then in verse 9, hide your face from my sins and block out all my iniquities. Clean, uh, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Work from the inside out in my life, um, O oh God. Um, just a... Just work in such a way that I'm transformed from the inside. Um, time eludes us. Let's, let's get to the end of this. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And I love this. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to every believer in Jesus Christ. He does not take his Holy Spirit 
from New Testament believers. For David, that might have been an issue, but for us, we have the promise of the permanent residence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that fact doesn't depend upon our feelings. You know, and so whenever you're being waylaid and ambushed by fill in the blank, uh, just, just, just remember that God's Holy Spirit is present in your life and he's still working. And this, this will surprise you. You're, you. God's not done with you yet. Uh, the best is yet to come. Somebody reminded me this morning that God is still at work in your life. And so he, David says, you know, just keep me going. Keep, just, just keep working in my life. That's what I want. And then verse 12, we, we end it with, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. That joy of salvation comes to us. So um, let, let me uh, look at it this way. Those times this coming year when sins of the past want to jump up and ambush you and try to rob you of joy or rob you of a sense of value and worth or rob you of a sense of usefulness in the hands of God or that sin from the past wants, wants to, to try and, and, dis, and, and persuade you that somehow God uh, isn't caring and loving towards you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to the grace, the mercy, and the compassion of God and understand that's who he is. He's in the business of of bringing us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be deeply honest with yourself. Sometimes when these things keep coming up, it's, it's a cue that, that there's some issues we need to resolve. There might be a relationship we need to restore. It, it, it might just uh, be something within ourselves that we need to confront. Never being afraid to confront those deep issues because when you do, you're finding truth and God is truth and that means he's already there. We have the courage of our, of our faith to confront issues that need to be dealt with, so don't be afraid to do that. Uh, remember the cross. Just remember the cross. First thing you need to say is I, the, the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross covers, covers it all, the blood of Jesus. And just remember that. And frankly, just spend a few moments luxuriating in the wondrous wondrous grace of God in Christ Jesus on the cross. And then rejoice in the work that God is doing in your life. Rejoice in the work that he is doing. You say, well, I don't see it very often. I, I see the failures and all that. Hey, look, God is doing something. He is at work in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and rejoice that he will not let go and that he continues to work in your life. Now, maybe what you've done, this whole sermon, you've thought to yourself, yes, there is a fill in the blank in my life but it's too ugly. It, it's, it's too, too base. It's, it's too vulgar. That, that besetting sin, that, that thing in my life that, that's robbing me of the joy in life, it is so awful that if God knew about it, he wouldn't love me. Here's the deal. God knows and sent his son to die for that sin and has already shed his blood for that sin. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that sin is forgiven, and it's master over you no more. That sin does not have a right to take hold of your life. By the way, you don't have the right to let it either, okay? But in this, in this coming year, just look to the God's grace. Honestly, visit the cross constantly and rejoice in the work of the Holy Spirit so that we learn from the past but we're not shackled to the past and paralyzed by the past because of the grace of God in Christ. Can we do that? Let's do it. Let's pray together now. And Father in heaven, I just thank and 
praise you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for us on the cross. I thank you that we are not left as orphans. We are not left on our own, but you come to us through the Holy Spirit. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would just work in this room, come upon every person, the one who is struggling with an unconfessed sin, give them the strength and the courage of faith to come before you and to confess that sin and to accept the forgiving blood of Jesus Christ. And then I ask for brothers and sisters who continue to struggle with the aftermath of sin, give them the joy of knowing that your grace is greater still. Father, in all these things, glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen.